This is the Sonicast, where artists discuss their passion for creating music. We discuss everything about music creation, from the tech needed for success to music education. So if you love making beats, film scoring, or creating sample packs, this is the show for you, where you'll regularly hear from experts in their field discuss their experiences and learn what makes them highly sought-after professionals. Today's guest is with Rovan Roman. Rovan has been in the music licensing business for many years, building an impressive resume, placing tracks on television shows such as The Ellen Show, The Tyra Banks Show, Keeping Up with the Kardashians, The Cartoon Network's Teen Titans Go, and many, many more. And though he's got music tracks placed with television, radio, and online media, he's also had a uniquely first-hand experience and perspective on the rise of the hip-hop music industry in LA. This interview takes place at his studio, All right, uh, we've got Ravon Roman here. Ravon, thank you very much for joining us here today, my man. I'm enjoying this. Yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. I've been looking forward to this for some time. Uh, just getting a chance to meet you, what, over a year and a half ago? Yep. Uh, getting a chance to see uh, and hear some of your work. Uh, it'll be good to, to really have me get a chance to know you better, and our audience will really love getting a chance to know you better. Uh, you've got an incredible resume, <laughs> um, and, and I've always loved hearing your work with Sonic Productions. And so just a delight. And I'm glad that you're able to do this. So thank you. No problem. Let's start from the uh, from the beginning, uh, for how Ravon was made. Uh, uh, now I'm gonna be aged. <laughs> Everyone will know. Well here's here's the thing. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go into years. We're not gonna we're not gonna tell what year you were born, but uh, I, I think I sound like a young man, so maybe they won't know. <laughs> uh, where where were you born? Born in Compton, California. Compton, California. Yep. And how long did you live there? I lived there for, I want to say, man, 30 years, 35 years. Okay. 35, 36 years. Okay. Yeah. Was it a good place to grow up for you? You know, yes and yes and no. I mean, you know, it was Compton. It was, you know, you know, you growing coming from, I guess I'm not going to say the year, but <laughs> I don't really <laughs> you, care. You can put in the year. I'm just saying you don't have to. I, I, don't, I don't care. But yeah, you know, growing up in the 70s was fun. Yes. You know, um, which, you, you know, you, um, it was just fun. You go outside and have fun, play and all that. It wasn't until maybe the late 80s is when it got, you know, a little bit more violent. Drugs okay. in Compton was, was strong. Everyone was selling it. Everybody was game banging. Everybody was... You know, you'd hear the shootings, the drive-bys, the helicopters, and everything else. You know, but, you know, it's funny because when you live in it, you don't really realize how bad it is. It's just, you just know to be prepared, be prepared to fight, be prepared, be prepared for whatever. And it's, you feel like it's normal because you don't know. You don't know that there's, that there's better. Because, the you know, my mom and dad, we had a nice house. We didn't live, we lived in a nice house in Compton, a nice area in Compton. A lot of people will come to where we live like, wow, it's nice over here. Nice. Not knowing that right around the corner, you know, <laughs> you know, these guys here are Crips over here, further down the street, they're bloods. Right. You know, it's crazy. I could take you down. There's a street that Dre references on one of his songs. You know, he says, um, bodies on Greenleaf. <laughs> you know, but if you go down Greenleaf and you go to this street called Tartar Lane, there's some houses that you don't see and they look like mansions and they're in Compton. Wow. Nice homes, nice area, nice people. Right. You know what I mean? Um, sure. 
I used to play in a band. So I used to uh, a friend of mine that went to our school. He played drums, and we would meet at his house in his basement. It was this. It just you wouldn't believe that that was Compton. Sure, and it sure. was it was on sort of a busy, semi rough street. We used to street race on Greenleaf <laughs> all the time, or if not Florence and Maine. But yeah, it's it's uh you didn't know how bad it was, you know, until you you look at it from the news aspect of it, and they're saying this is I was there when that happened. Yeah, you know what I mean. You look at it, you look at TV and how they portray it. It's like, yeah, you know what it is. I was kind of being a little bit careless when I was staying up till three o'clock, four <laughs> o'clock in the morning, hanging out on Florence and Maine. I'm like, you know, and then you you would hear. I had I've had friends that's been shot, you know. You hear other about other people, and you're like, man, is it? You, you're sad at first when it when it's your friends. Right. Like, man, I'm, that's terrible. It's devastating. And then to, at some point, you're like, man, you know what? Here we go again. I think that a lot of times the press and the media really talk up places. Yeah. And if you're not from there, it can seem like it's just a, a you know a terrible place to be. You know, why would anyone live there? But yeah, you know, you don't really know until you live there. And then God has always has a plan in your life. So. Sometimes you don't know it, but he's over you. He's he's, he's covered you, mm-hmm. and you don't even know it. While you're doing those things that you're doing, it doesn't get bad. He's covered. I I've been shot at before in Compton, just getting putting the air in my tire. But they weren't aiming for me. They were aiming for the guys next to me. Wow. While all I heard was bang bang, and then I looked on the wall, Whoa. and you could see where the bullet hit. Wow, man! It was that was probably the scariest moment of my life because I took off running. The person I was with, the female I was with, she drove <laughs> off because she was scared. <laughs> she left you running. She left me. Oh my goodness! Um, I took off running, and I went around the building. Well, guess what? The guys that they were shooting at ran with me. Oh, and I, I'm not a fast runner, but I was scared then, so I was I was ahead of them. <laughs> and they were running with runner. me, and I turned around like, man. And the guys that were after him was running, and I'm like, what am I gonna do? So somewhere or another, I was able to escape that because they knew who they were looking for. It wasn't me. And I, I ran back to, I was running in the direction where I live, and my, my, the person I was with at the time was waiting for me. Right. And it picked me up and said, let's go home. And I went home, and I was just checking my body for bullets, make sure I didn't get shot at. Because, you know, sometimes your adrenaline, you don't know. Of course. And I, was, I remember, you know what I mean, because I just felt like, there was times when I just felt like Superman. You know, I get into a fight, win, and <laughs> keep moving, and like, you know, I had this attitude about myself, and was always on guard for the next thing happening, or very observant. And then I, I did have friends that were, you know, into, and we can get, we'll get into that. But one okay. of the guys I was doing music for, he was a rapper, who yeah, he was also drug dealer, and he was also a lot of other things. Wow. And if he told you something, he meant it. Sure. So. We became friends. He, you know, he was a good guy. He was good to me in, in some ways. He, we were, I met him at Costco. You know, I was working there, and, you know, he started telling me his life story, how he changed his life around when he had his daughter. Yeah. But he's done some things. I mean, some things I can't, you know. Right. You know, no, I didn't say his name, but I would never repeat because, you know, he probably can get in trouble for although it's been 20, 30 years. But there's just wow. things that he revealed to me, like, wow, really? Even at Costco, um, something happened that was tragic for that person that it happened to. But wow. that person, you know, was bothering him and he wasn't going to have it. So, you know, and then you you hear it, you know, you, you hear the story and it's like, well, yeah, this happens all the time. And it does. But you don't think about I didn't really think I didn't get mature. I wasn't mature enough to know that 
you know, these things here is just once God did not want this to happen. This is not this is not the norm. You know, this there's more to life. I did not realize that till I moved to Phoenix, but there's more to life than just hustling and hanging out and clubbing and all this kind of stuff because I did a lot of that out, out in LA. You know, we'll, we'll we'll cover you moving out here to Phoenix here in a little bit because mm-hmm. I think that's an important part, but yeah. tell me what it is that kept you from becoming part of that life because obviously, I mean, you didn't kill anybody. No. Uh, at least I hope you didn't. Or <laughs> no. You did anything today. But. I have a story, but no, <laughs> I, I haven't. So, I, I so can what, truly what, say I haven't. So what is it about your, your upbringing in Compton that really kept you from falling in that same trap? One one main reason was was my mom. Um, she made sure that I didn't drift off too far. My mom and my dad, you know, I was raised by both, but she was the she was the the ironclad. Uh, put your fist down. I mean, you know, she's the one you didn't want to make mad. My dad had more of a loving heart. Hmm. If, if if it was funny because if, if my father spanked me. You felt devastated, like man, I really hurt his feelings because my father really didn't do that. Wow! But my mom, she—you could sneeze the wrong way. She was on. <laughs> she was on it. This is like, ah, we're not having this. No, right? This right. ain't going down. If you say the wrong word, you know, just like Eddie Murphy said, you can't say "dang." That sounds too much like a curse word, right? You know what I mean? Like, what did you say? <laughs> oh, I said "dang." Like, I don't, said, don't, don't, nah, no, nah, nah, we're nope, not having that. Nope. So she, she was the protector. She was everything, and she kept. You know, I didn't understand it at the time. I'm like, I mean, I can't do anything. But she kept me safe for the most part until I got my license. <laughs> okay. And was able to drive around. Right, and at some right. point in time, she just let me, you know, she let me loose. But yeah, yeah. it was her and music. Okay. It was music that kept me. Because I, I was, if you look at that picture, that's my. Uh, yeah, the picture up on the wall. Yep. Okay. That's my eighth grade picture. That's my first time DJing. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. That's that was um, one of the first. That was the most exciting time DJing for me in the eighth grade. Who took that picture? Oh, uh, my dad did. That's so cool. Yeah, that's so cool. And if you can't really see it, but the guy who uh, we didn't have any equipment. I had a realistic amp. I had a cheap speaker, and um, that wasn't going to do it because we're inside of a gym. Okay. And I said I gotta get something, but I don't have no money to buy any equipment. So I'm like, what am I going to do? So back in L.A., they had this paper called The Recycler. Okay. I was looking at people selling stuff. Okay. And I'm like, man, you know, for, you know, 100 bucks, 150 bucks, the stuff you're selling, let me rent it. And I, I, was, I just so happened to talk to a guy, um, and he, was, he, he knew I was a kid. Yeah. And he was like, you know what? Don't even worry about it. Wow. He says, where's your dance at? And I told him where it was at. He says, I'll be there. Just give me 75 bucks. Okay. So I'm like, okay, cool. I didn't know what he was bringing. Man, he brought four big old gigantic speakers, the turntables, mixers. Wow. He bought the whole shebang. Wow. And not only that, but we did advertise. Uh-huh. But I didn't realize that. Okay, we was at St. Albert's. Right across was a high school called Regina Chelly. Okay. All girls school. That school was the sister school to, I believe, Verbin Day. Okay. So we had about two or 300 people come to this dance. Whoa. I didn't know that was going to happen. And you were the DJ. I was a DJ. And a, a friend of mine named Larry Jones, okay. who, who still DJ, DJs in Las Vegas, he's <laughs> big time DJ out there. Wow. You know, um, we both put that together. That's so cool. And it was, it was successful. That's so cool. Yeah. You know, it was just... It was magical. And the guy who 
brought the equipment. My father worked for Kaiser Hospital. Okay. So all the big banquets, all the big functions. Oh, okay. This guy. How yeah. fun. How fun was that? Yeah, so he got paid 500 bucks to to start um, doing DJing at these uh, events at Kaiser because Kaiser paid. Right, right, right. So, you know, my father was able to be a blessing to this guy. How it was cool. great. Yeah. That is so cool. Yeah. yeah and you're right. God does um, allow for great things to happen like that. Just be right place, right time. Yep. So your parents are very influential, obviously, in your life. Yeah. My father was a... He, he sings. Okay. You know, I have his record somewhere. I have it on actually on the computer. So he was a singer. Is he still around? No. Okay. No. okay. He passed many, okay. many, many over 20 years ago. Okay. Um, but um, he used to sing, and then by the time I was around, he because he, he didn't, you know, he actually, he, he almost got a record deal, but, you know, my uh, my mom was pregnant with my brother, and he was like, well, I'm not going to be on the road. And they told him, they told my dad, he says, well, if, if you get this deal, you can't tell people you're married. And <laughs> and he, he didn't want to do that. Right. So he decided, well, oh, no, wow. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm going to be a family man, take care of my family. That's I'm not sweet. Gonna, Good man. Not going to do that. Good man. But, um, yeah, if, but as time went on, he became a manager over a band and um, a band called Flight Nine. And he actually managed my brother. My brother was a keyboard player. He still plays a little bit. Okay. Um, he managed them too. So my brother's band used to come over to the house. Okay. And I used to just watch him rehearse all the time. Um, I, the drummer would leave his drums there. So I'm like, okay, I'm a, <laughs> I was in love with drums. My parents would never buy me a set. Right, right. You know, and I understand it was well, just sure. too loud. Yeah, it's, it's a They're lot. They're like, no, you're not waking me up. It's, in the a, morning. Lot, it's a lot in the house, yes. <laughs> yeah, he, they wanted me to play keys. And I just like, I do not want to play the piano. <laughs> I want to play drums. This is, right. I love drums. <laughs> right. You know, so. So uh, how many uh, how many brothers and sisters do you have? I have one brother and two sisters. Okay. Yeah. And uh, are they still in uh, the Los Angeles area or uh, Compton area? My, no, my brother. Well, my brother works in Hollywood. He lives in Hollywood. But okay. when he retires, he's going to go back to our home in Compton because we still have okay. a house. And my two sisters live and one is in Oh, I think they're both in Oakland. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're in the they're in that area, the, right. the Bay Area. Still okay, so still California. Everyone's yeah. back there too. Everybody's okay. back there. Yeah. That sounds like your brother is involved in music, of course. He used to be. Used to be. He, when that was, he used to be. That was the early, the late seventies, early eighties. Wow. He stopped. He just stopped playing. Is he an older brother? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's older brother. He he just, but he just, he doesn't even touch the keys anymore. Huh. Okay. Not at all. And that's what when I was a kid, I used to make me mad. Like, okay, they bought him a Rhodes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> a Rhodes piano, right? That's, that's a big still deal. technically around to this day. My, I I gave it to my friend because it um, I was living in my house. I had no room for it, and I had a water break. Oh, and it almost destroyed the roads. So oh. I had somebody go and look at it. Okay, and um, they they didn't have to do much to it. So they said it's still in good shape. And a friend of mine really wanted a road, so I just I just gave it to him. And but anytime I need to, I want to use it or play on it. I know where to go. Right. You how, know. So uh, I'm sorry, off. How about your sisters? Are your sisters involved in music at all? Were they? No, um, not to my knowledge. I do not believe so. But my older sister was one who introduced me to funk. Okay. Which I'll say funk R and B, the Commodores. Okay. So, you know, she bought for my birth, for Christmas, I believe, she bought me two albums. She bought the Commodores, which had Brickhouse on it. Yep. And then she bought the uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire album. I don't remember which one. Okay. But um, my for Christmas, I Can't bought. Can't go wrong with any of them, actually. Yeah. For Christmas, my dad bought me a, a turntable that had like an eight track 
what? connected to it. Yeah. Oh, cool. It's like I came from that era too as well. Yes. Yes. So just for no reason, I You're would talking just... talking my language, man. <laughs> for no reason, I would record whatever album I have, I recorded the tape, which was cool. That's cool. That was actually probably my first recording, my first start of recording, huh. was doing stuff like that. Or there's my a neighbor down the street, they used to love to watch certain TV programs so or listen to it. And I would just record it on, on a, I think, a, a cassette, okay, whatever, and give it to them. So I was just into that. But... My bro, my father, I have an uncle that gave my father a reel-to-reel. Oh, nice. So I used to play around my with it. My dad has a reel-to-reel, still does, yeah. still has it. I've been tempted to get another one just because whatever, you know, just like messing with stuff. But um, he he, my uncle gave him a TAC four-channel, um, probably $800 reel-to-reel back wow. at that time. Yeah. And I used to just record. I used to call all my albums to it. And then eventually uh, the bands would come over. Okay. And I would just put a mic, a little cheap, sure mic somewhere, record. Yeah. yeah. And then my dad says, well, hey, because my dad didn't really know how to use it. You know what I mean? He says, you know, he took me with him, says, hey, we're, we're doing this live show. Mm-hmm. Can you bring the tape recorder and try to record? And I did. And, you know, the recording came out pretty decent. Sure. For what I had. Because right. I didn't have a mixing board. Yeah. Or did I? I don't know how I got the audio into the tape machine because I don't remember having a board. I think somewhere or another I was able to hook the mic straight into the machine. Yeah, just some kind just of a little way. eighth inch. I think you can do an eighth inch connection on those little tape machines. It was an RCA. It was a big because it was a oh okay yeah. RCA cable then. It was RCA. So however I did it, but the recording came out pretty good, and I learned a few tricks on that thing. So that was my start into recording. All right, this is a good spot. We'll stop to take a quick advertisement break. Hi there, I'm Dan Young, co-founder of Sonic Productions, your music production company. We partner with businesses to help you deliver your best message professionally, elegantly, and with the power to capture your audience. Our goal is to serve you as you seek to grow your brand, whether you use Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or other mediums like podcasting or television. We'll work with you to custom tailor a song to fit your campaign, or you can visit our music licensing business, Sonica, to choose from over 100 original songs ready for licensing. Voiceover narration is also available. So when it's time to seriously consider growing your business, consider Sonic Productions to stand out. Sonic Productions, our music, your story. Visit us at www.sonicproductions.biz to contact our team and to learn more. So, so it sounds like that not only had you had your father and that friend who helped you with DJing, yeah. your sister's been an influence for you and yeah. introduced you to funk. Yeah. Uh, and so it sounds like you started doing some early DJ work did that carry you on? Because it sounds like there was a series of times, especially when you started driving, mm-hmm. that there were some trouble times for you. <laughs> how, how did that continue on through, uh, let's say, your adolescent years? Well, I um, so uh, I DJed with him, but there was another guy that went to to my junior high school. Um, his name was Cornelius, and um, he was a DJ as well. And we started this thing called the Cosmic Scratch Force. <laughs> Cosmic Scratch Force. So it's it's funny because we used to battle, and we would battle another group called Oh man, was it what is their name? Uh, Knights of the Turntables. Okay, they were popular. Believe it or not, they they did a song, a techno song, that they sold three hundred thousand copies in Europe. Oh wow, I yeah. think I've heard of them. Yeah. 
Knights, I forgot, I don't know all their names, but Knights of the Turntables. And they these guys were they for coming out of out of well, they were in Carson, California, which is right next door to Compton. Okay. But um they did a yeah, they did an album that was I mean, for us, when you hear that you sold three hundred thousand of an album that you did yourself, and they probably made most of the profit off of that because right. I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that they cut that out. There's a there's a company out there called McCullough Records. Okay. So this company, um, they don't sign artists. They don't do any of that. Right. But if you want to cut your album, they'll let you cut it. Right, right, right. Now, if you want them to distribute it to different stores, they'll do that as well. Sure. And if you look on... Um, that uh, movies with Straight Outta Compton, mm -hmm. you'll see Easy -E go to McCullough Records, and now it's his first recording before he even before they signed to any label, which right. I believe was Priority. Okay, but um, they start off in McCullough, and he was selling albums out of the trunk of his car. You want to hear something funny? So during the early '80s, like from 1980, 1987, I lived in Europe. Mm -hmm. I was in Germany. I've heard of the Knights of the, of the Turntable. Really? So that's where that's that. I heard of them back then. Yeah, they Just, sold they sold that stuff out there. It was you said that name, man. and I was like Knights of the Turntables. I heard of that stuff actually. Yeah. Living in Germany. That's funny. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. And the song was very simplistic. I mean, you know, it was just <laughs> one of those. That was in a pop lock, though yes. actually breakdance break era. Yeah, yeah, Beat yeah. Street, Beat Street, so that the, mm -hmm. the song fit. You know, when you when you're mixing and you're DJing and you're battling, mm -hmm. you'd play that record as a part of that because it was it was part of that that eighties era. That's it cool. was fun. The eighties was a fun time. Yes, house parties. Yes, no fights. You know what I mean? All type of stuff. Battle of the bands. Going to different parks. Man, it was a it was a fun time to be. You know, a young man or a kid cool. in a, in, a, in the early '80s. You yep. know, drugs hadn't hit too hard just yet. Right. You know what I mean? It was right. it was coming. Yeah. But man, I I met that era. I miss I I miss that era. So I I have a, my dad actually was born in uh, in Compton also. Yeah, really? He was born in I can't tell you exactly where it was because it's not part of my life. But my dad was there, and I visited there once, <laughs> twice. Yeah. And it was probably in the mid '80s, and yeah. so I remember that era, and they just felt. Yeah. different you know i mean it, it felt it, it didn't feel like it was dangerous no it but it, it felt fun i remember like songs of that era and so i can really yeah. understand the romance behind it yeah uh, when's the last time you've been back there oh this is probably about a few weeks ago okay so you go i go often. i go off and on because we still have the house that's right and i have and because my mom is mom is with me now mm -hmm. i have to go out there and take care of certain things and i still i still pay the bills to make sure the electric stays on and all that so i go out there quite often um sometimes i'll meet up with friends or family but for the most part I, it may be a turnaround trip that's actually the last time i went it was a turnaround trip. I I went really quick to either pick up something or do something, and I came right back to to Phoenix. Cool. So, um, let's talk a little bit after the junior high area. Let's talk. A, well, actually, after high school, what happened with you after high school? So, um, in between time, my father was into still into music. He started learning keys, so he'd buy equipment. Okay, and of course, you know, if he if he's using it, I'm using it. So I got into a little bit of the, the a little bit of the production side, not much. Eventually, I bought a drum machine. I believe my my first drum machine was from Yamaha. It was like a, I think it was called an RX7. Okay, I used to tap around on it, make little beats and all that kind of stuff. But right. I was still DJing. I was slowly. I bought my own turntables. Uh, bought 
bought my mixer. That's all I had. But um, I was practicing, just DJing. And eventually, I got speakers. And then eventually, people were asking me, hey, can you DJ my party? Sure. Right, right, right. Sure, sure, I would. Three or $400. Sure. Uh, back in that time, was a lot. because. Sure. And, yes. and as a kid, I wasn't thinking that. I can make a living at it. I was just thinking that okay, I need to make three or four hundred dollars so I can spend all this on records. <laughs> right, <laughs> records was 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 yep. the, the thing. I mean, you see, that's not even half of what you see over there is what I own. Yeah, I see the yeah the library you've got here. I probably still have two crates downstairs. I used to have like ten to twelve crates of just all type of records. Sure, because when you're a, when you're a DJ back then, you know you could play all the the. Um, Stuff that's known, mm -hmm. but if you can mix in some type of break, right? That's f that's similar to what you're playing. People will go nuts they on respond it. Respond to it, sure. And that's what made you the better DJ is to find find those records that people don't have, huh. and, you, and you had to go to certain spots that would have remakes of something. Because remember, you know, you're talking about cutting an album that right. takes time. Yes, it does. So you have to search and look yes, and listen and all type of stuff. You have to retain all to memory and yeah. remember like which one would fit in certain certain areas and what they wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was fun. So you would and did you want to be the first one when when a record pops. Right. There were certain record stores you can go to where they would have it before it was even played on the radio. So you know all of that was like okay make sure you gotta have enough money because some of those records cost a little bit more. Right. Um, especially if they're remixes, you know, it'd be twenty uh, about ten to twelve dollars. Sure. For a single, when right. singles back then only cost three ninety nine. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. I remember those too. Those little smaller records too. Yeah. So so with your your the digital world has that changed a lot in how you look at. Uh, Getting records and libraries of records, and I mean, has that really changed a lot? The digital world has completely changed the way I even listen or do music <laughs> because for many years, even when the I mean, you know, when this technology changed, I was still stubborn. You know, I'm like, I'm not. I'm not going to leave my MPC for <laughs> to use Pro Tools. Right. My MPC is flawless. Why right. would I do that? Right. All I needed was one drum machine and one. I had a Korg Triton keyboard. Well, this is many years later. Okay. But I'm like, I'm not changing from this. This works. I'm doing tracks. I'm actually making a little bit of money. You know, not a lot, but making a little bit of money doing tracks. Mm -hmm. People would say, hey, man, can you do a track really quick? Right. Yeah, it's got my, my MPC. I got my... My Triton and yeah, let's do this. I'm good. That's all I needed. Right, right. But the digital world changed because now the creativity that you hear now it's it's different. It's it's a lot more. You really have to be creative. You have to stay on your p's and q's. You have to right. know that now. You know, you know, coming from listening to the Motown mm -hmm. era, it was a Motown sound. Correct. And everybody wanted that sound. Right. They wanted that Motown sound. Or if it wasn't Motown, if it was a rock sound that what Ike Turner mm -hmm. sort of helped create it. Right. You know, you wanted that sound. You wanted, you know, the the musicianship, I would say, coming out of Ohio, Michigan, and those areas. These sure. guys playing guitar, they weren't just playing it. They were creating something. Correct. That people started trying to mimic. You know, some of your best guitar players came out of these cities, right? And then you got the guys, the the, the head, you know, the the like the Beatles and all these cats. They're list. They were listening. 
they were copying some of that stuff. Like, we like the way this guy's playing these riffs. Sure, sure. We're going to take some of these riffs and play it this way. Sure. You know, I, I mean, I've heard stories where, you know, uh, some of those, some of the guys, uh, the black musicians were like, man, those Beatles, they're playing something that I was playing. Right. You know, but that's what music is all about is listening to something, you know, and figuring out, okay, how did they do that? Hmm. And, you know, you try to apply it. And what makes you unique is that you can apply that same technique to yourself, but now you're adding what you think it should sound like, so now it's different. Wow. That's that's actually true. So true. Yeah, now it's different. So it's it's like it's I've... I've hung around some of the best musicians and a lot of great producers. Right. And, you know, when I used to hit roadblocks, I used to wonder, well, how, how <laughs> did they do it? And right. I remember this guy in the studio. He was one of the best keyboard players you ever wanted to hear. He had his headphones on. He was creating, uh, he was creating a love song for his, his album. And he had his headphones on. He would listen. And he would go back and play this and go back and play this right. and go back and play. Right. So I'm like, man, I says, are you listening to something you already did? Because, you know, sound like whatever you're doing, it sounds amazing. He says, no, I'm listening to R. Kelly. That's R. Kelly. Wow. He said, he say, yes, he says, this song has the, the the chords that he's using are great, and I want to make sure that I'm using the same st structure on my song. Sure. Did it sound like R. Kelly's song? It absolutely did not. Right, right. But he was just listening pull, to pull the tools he needed yeah. from that in order to make that work that's yeah. cool yeah actually the song he did was a lot better it was better than whatever he our kid whatever song was i don't remember but i was like man that's that's pretty good so that point i learned like okay yeah you have to really listen you know you may have to get some ideas if you ever run into that roadblock and that's that's um what it takes sometimes i mean What's his name? Ray Parker Jr. Mm -hmm. You know, he did Ghostbusters. But he did a lot of other things. Yeah. Oh, man. He did so much more. Well, we there's a, <laughs> so, there's a lot of songs that I can name that nobody would know what they are. Jack and Jill, Woman Needs Love. Um, my, favorites, my favorite from Ray Parker wasn't Ghostbusters. It was For Those Who Like to Groove. Okay. It's an instrumental. No, 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 no... Um, no words whatsoever, huh. and it's it's him playing guitar, and it's just a this a it's a lo I love that song. He has two of them, and then then he has a part two. I think it's for for those who like the groove too. Okay, and it, both songs. I don't huh. know if you ever heard of them, but I'm, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to them now actually. Yeah, yes. both songs. You'll love them. Okay, it's all instruments. No, no, no words, no lyrics whatsoever. I forgot to ask you, what is your primary instrument that you learned to play growing up? It was. It started off with drums. Okay. It started off with drums. Um, I played a little bit. Played a little bit in a in a band, but I never was able to get better because I never had my own set. Okay. So every time I play, I never. You know, it it, it would be like, okay, hey, can I borrow your set? We're getting ready to do a gig, and it would just be simple, you know, kick snare, maybe a little bit of rolls and cymbal hits. Right. But I never did. Never did tune into that craft because I never had my own set. And once I became older. I got into DJing and well, then you're not practicing an actual music. I'm, I'm buying drum machines too, <laughs> right? And, that's true. You know, yeah. but I was even even when I was doing that, I still was DJing. I mean, I DJed for a lot of clubs in LA. Right. Um, I did a whole. Uh, it's amazing because you you never know how big what you did until you look back on it. And it was like I remember hmm. I was with this guy. His name is Cisco. Okay, and he was a popular him, Cisco and DJ Maestro. Yeah, the popular DJs in LA. Yes, they are. And they would have 
uh, this uh, DJ Maestro had Roger okay. at his club one time. Okay, yeah, I remember Roger. And I was around for that. You know, I didn't, I didn't DJ for that, but I was there, mm-hmm. and I was like, wow, this is cool. But um, the group that I was DJing in too, they did a show where Digital Underground was there. Okay, and you know that was cool seeing what uh, <laughs> you know the guy was. Uh, I forgot Shock G was his name, <laughs> and you know he would turn into the to, to Humpty, uh-huh. and seeing how that transpired during his show was it was funny, but it was it was great. You've been listening to the Sonic Cast, where artists discuss their passion for creating music. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can find show notes in the descriptions as well as information to hear more from our guest. You can also visit us at www.sonicproductions.biz to license music and shop for some cool merchandise. Sonic Productions, our music, your story.